As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, I'm Gabby Dunn, and this is Bad With Money, a show about finances and feelings where we don't talk down to you. I am in New York right now because my partner's sister had a baby. So that's where I'm rocking and rolling to you from. I don't know why I turn into a radio DJ as soon as the mic is on. <laughs> Just a Gabby on the ones and twos. Okay, so this week we are going to be talking about the mysterious and unexplained... Wall Street crash of 1987. Uh, we've been doing these episodes that are breakdowns and takedowns of money media. Um, and I wanted to talk to our guest journalist, Cerise Castle, all about the TV show Black Monday, which is a show on Showtime that ran for a few seasons, I think three seasons. Uh, and it is about a black owned investment group that is working on Wall Street in the late 1980s. Um, and it's based around the real life crash of the global market in 1987. As I say in this discussion with Cerise, we tend to think of the 1980s as a very prosperous time for the stock market. Um, but actually, there is a very little known, little talked about crash that happened in 87. And it really affected not just the US, although uh, it affected the US less than the larger global markets. Um, and some countries have never recovered from it. 
There is, to this day, no succinct explanation for what happened. So Cerise and I are going to get into some theories. We're going to get into how the crash is portrayed in the show Black Monday. We're going to get into how women and Black people are portrayed in the show and what their real experiences were like on Wall Street during the time. Cerise and I are also going to get into some stuff you absolutely should know about in terms of our history and the history of money, including Freeway Rick Ross and the crack epidemic and Gary Webb's reporting on all of that. Also, we're going to be talking about the Iran-Contra affair, uh, the war on drugs, and everything that was going down at the time around this market crash. We'll get into some theories as to why it happened, and we'll talk about the long-term repercussions. So if you've never heard of the 1987 Wall Street and global market crash, buckle up because Cerise and I are going to get into it. We're also going to talk about the show Black Monday and what it must have been like to be any kind of marginalized person on Wall Street in the 80s. Enjoy! Why don't I let my guest uh, introduce herself uh, for this week? Who are you and what do you do? Hi, my name is Cerise Castle. I am the host of the podcast A Tradition of Violence from iHeartMedia, which is all about deputy gangs in the sheriff's department. Uh, I specialize in police accountability reporting and I do other investigative work as well. And I'm also a friend of yours. And the winner today <laughs> of an award... What award did you win this very day? I am. This is this is the first award I've ever won beyond like reading awards that I got when I was like a child. <laughs> um, I won the Courage Award, which is um, given out by the International Women in Media Foundation. Um, and it is it's a great award. It's given to courageous women. And I guess I guess I'm hey! one of them. <laughs> Congratulations! Thank you so much. Well, I'm glad you had the courage to come here to Bad With Money yet again. Um, <laughs> and I want to talk about the show Black Monday. And I asked you and you said that you love that show. So what is the premise and why? Uh, and then why did you start watching it? So the premise of Black Monday is the investigating the cause of Black Monday, which was a event in the, I believe it was the Dow mm -hmm. Jones Industrial. D-I-G-A, Dow Industrial Jones, yeah. One of the stock market areas. I should know this. I used to be a financial <laughs> reporter. <laughs> one of the stock, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, one of the, the ways in which we view the stock market. Exactly, exactly. So what happened on Black Monday is that it suffered this tremendous loss, um, I believe the biggest in yes. a single day um, in history up to that point. Um, and it reverberated around the world. We did not have it the worst um, in the United States um, market. The worst, I believe, was in Hong Kong, which saw a loss of over 45%. Um, here in the United States, it was around 22%. Um, but you can, you, can, you can fact check me on that. I, I don't know. That's kind of just off dome. I, look, I did a lot of reading. <laughs> this is one of those things where I did a lot of reading about it. Uh, it occurred uh, October 19th, 1987. So we're in the 80s right now. And I still didn't 100% understand what was happening. Um, I know, yeah, Japan, Hong Kong, and New Zealand got it the worst um, and, are still, and are still trying to recover from this. So globally, 23 major world markets dropped that same week, basically. 
And it was like a uh, huge. The, the worldwide losses were estimated at 1.7 trillion. And it basically showed everyone that there was like huge volatility in the market that they hadn't anticipated prior to that. And and from what I understand, what happened was there was like a huge sale happening over the weekend and people started to like sell a lot of their shares. And then by the time the market opened on Monday, all the sales had like gone through And so it was all happening at once. And so there were no cash reserves available by the time the market opened. So like basically the stock market works in a way that like is fake money a lot of the time. (laughs) And it's not built for everyone wanting to like pull their money at once because it's fake. So there was just this like thing where everyone was like, I would like my money. And they were like, oh, we don't have that. So people had to like call on like the telephone, actual, like landline telephone and talk to an actual yes. broker. They didn't have digital mm-hmm. anything at this point in time. So I did a little reading myself and a lot of people I read could not get through, which just compounded the loss. Yeah. And also, I think like digitally, they would be able to maybe put a stopgap. But because it's just people calling, there's like no ability to to be like get in touch with each other or say, hey, actually, this other guy sold this or which kind of comes up in the pilot of Black Monday, which I watched the pilot and then I got so into it that I watched episode two. And then my Mal sat down, my partner, and wanted to watch it as well because it's incredibly engaging. Great show. Great show. So what made you want to start watching it, as I said? I wanted to start watching Black Monday because it was a show about a topic that I really didn't know much about. I find that I tend to prefer number one documentaries Mm -hmm. those are my favorite two shows that are based on documentaries or stories that we've read in the news so those sort of like rip from the headlines maybe the type of stuff that was like popularized on Lifetime at one time and now Mm -hmm. we can see on the Hulus and the Netflixes of the world and I also really like fictional stuff that is based on real events Mm -hmm. so shows like Snowfall that is based on the story of Freeway Rick Ross the reporting of Gary Webb a journalist that is one of my idols Um, I really like this show because because it was based around um, Black Monday, mm-hmm. which is a financial event that I had heard about um, in my prior life as a finance reporter, but I didn't really engage with much, didn't really understand. Um, while I did work in finance reporting, I never really had a good handle on the stock market, um, which... Uh... <laughs> no, I, it's one of the hardest things. I mean, uh, it's one of the hardest things to comprehend, definitely, for me, as I've been doing this show, you know, for for six years. And so, like, I still, I, I, I read things over and over again, and more so so that our audience doesn't have to, and I can come here and distill it. Uh, but sometimes, stuff like this, I, I am still a little unclear. So, and also, you know, what's interesting is we hear so much about the Great Depression in 1933, Like we hear about the stock market crash in 1929 and then we hear so much about the 2008 recession. And until I saw that this was going to be a show, I had never heard of Black Monday. I had no idea that the stock market crashed in 87, largely because I was, I view the 80s as a time of prosperity. Everybody sort of always talks about the 80s as being like everyone was making tons of 
Money and, you know, the, the movie Wall Street with Michael Douglas. Like, that's what I'm thinking about. I'm not thinking about, you know, that there was a crash in 87, which is not even, I mean, there was still two years left in the 80s. Uh, that they were picking up the pieces from this. You also, in America, don't particularly learn about things that have happened to other countries. So that might also be part of it in that it, it happened um, globally and it also took out like the stock markets in Japan, Hong Kong, and New Zealand where, you know, if it didn't happen the worst in America, we don't care to teach it to anyone. <laughs> like, I think maybe that's part of it. But also I find this interesting because and I don't know any spoilers. So the the show opens with them saying this is this is how Black Monday happened and we had never previously known how it happened. And then it leads us into Don Cheadle's character, Maurice Monroe. And then it leads us into this like black run fund. And so do you know if that is is that true? No. no um so what i understand about the show is that like it's it's completely fictional and a lot of the things that are at play in the show speak to larger trends in the stock market and volatile practices that we can still see today which i really like about the show and there there are names that you will recognize in the show from real life like the lehman brothers um for example you know i don't think that they were in incestual um, identical (laughs) twins as they are on Black Monday. Um, But, you know, it's based, some of the stuff that happens on the show is based in fact. Um, There is a company that is sort of the subject of the first season, Georgina Janes. That company is fictional, but when the Lehman Brothers are sort of recounting the history of the company, they say, okay, well, this used to be a Dutch slave trading company here in New York that started making pants for enslaved people in the 18th century. When slavery was outlawed, they continued to produce those pants because they were so fashionable. That <laughs> seems like something literally ripped from the headlines. I mean, you could you could tell that story about so many companies, yes. right, um, that still exist today. Yes. So I think that it is a really great way to feed you this information through this fictionalized I didn't know if it was fictionalized but like fictionalized in the sense that like this specific situation is but that is how the floor ran that is how women were treated that is how men treated each other that is the amount of drugs they were doing that is the way that we're learning about how the trades are set up and the way that we're learning about how People took advantage of like packaging funds together to give people stocks that were tanking or to hide uh, stocks that were like, you know, weren't. It was so easy to mistakenly buy something for a million dollars. You got to offload it onto this person. Um, And it gives you sort of the anxiety. We talked uh, earlier on this show about the big short. And it's that sort of anxiety where it's like people are like hiding more dust under the rug, hiding more dust under the rug. And eventually the rug is going to have a bump in it. And eventually we're going to, the dust will come out. So um, it's this very interesting way of showing you how this stuff is happening and how people, how what the way it ran back then, which honestly maybe hasn't even changed that much. And with knowing that crisis is coming. But I had not even, truly not even heard of, of any of this um, until I was like looking into things that I could, that I could use to learn about the stock market in the 80s. And this is like one of the only negative portrayals of it that I've really 
scene <laughs> that isn't yeah. um, like fully glorifying some white guy. Totally. Your business was humming, but now you're falling behind. Teams buried in manual work, taking forever to close the books. Getting one source of truth is like pulling teeth. If this is you, you should know these numbers. 37,025 37,000. That's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One, because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your KPIs, key performance indicators, in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow, all in one place. If you have all the information about your business in one place, you can make way better decisions. And this is an unprecedented offer, meaning this is totally worth your time. As someone who runs a business, having all of this together in order to close my books, that would be invaluable. It's a time saver. It's literally the biggest time saver. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash badwithmoney. That's netsuite.com slash badwithmoney to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com slash badwithmoney. Have you been using Mint to manage your finances? First, the bad news. Mint is shutting down. Now, good news. There's a better alternative. Monarch Money. Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it. That's right. I use Mint and now I'm using Monarch Money. It is very stressful, confusing, and time-consuming to manage my finances. I've tried other finance apps, they don't really work. Like, you know, I was very committed to Mint and then I was uh, deeply sad when Mint went away. But now I have tried Monarch. It's so easy to use with powerful features, collaboration tools, intuitive design, personalization, constant product improvements. I mean, I really value a company that is proactively looking at how to make finances easier. Did you know that money issues are a leading cause of divorce? Monarch, the top-rated personal finance app, also has built-in collaboration features so that you can invite your partner at no extra cost. Can you imagine being able to have a budget app with your partner? That is wild. You can see all your finances, you can collaborate on your budget, you can get insights on your cash flow and reoccurring transactions. It's a very easy way to manage a household's finances. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash badmoney. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has a tool that allows you to easily import your data from Mint and keep all your tags and categories. Monarch is the most customizable budget app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications and more. We will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top rated personal finance app. And right now get an extended 30 day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash badmoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y slash bad money for your extended 30-day free trial. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because when I'm looking to work with someone, I really need to be able to get someone fast. My job works very fast. Podcasts work very fast. And I've actually been looking for an assistant and I don't need to waste time sorting through matches without getting the highest quality person, right? When I'm looking to hire someone, whether that's a grant writer or a musician or something like that, it's very overwhelming because you get a lot of messages, but you're not able to like parse through yourself which ones are actually worth looking at. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash badwithmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash badwithmoney right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash badwithmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, I mean, I think it's such an honest portrayal. You know, you have those scenes with um, Dawn, Mm -hmm. I believe her name is, in this. Um, She is a black woman working in Wall Street in the 80s, which was, you know, no easy She's the only one that we see. Yeah, she's the only one we see. Later on in the season, we sort of learn more about her story and how she deals with that um, emotionally. And that's just like not that's not something that we ever really see um, when we're talking about this stuff. Blair has I mean, he's a straight white guy, Mm -hmm. uh, but he has sort of an interesting journey of his own that he goes on that you don't really see coming and sort of plays to other, you know, huge um, social, cultural health events that were going on Mm -hmm. in the late 80s. Um, This show speaks to the AIDS crisis. Mm -hmm. Um, This show speaks to structural racism in a lot of ways. And it even looks back in history. Um, It touches on the Black Panthers at one point. It it really talks about a lot of interesting things um, in a context that we don't usually see them in, in a really honest way which I really appreciate. And it's a comedy. Oh, um, yeah. So you can, you can laugh at it. It's a funny show. It's engaging. It's a great show. My... I recommend it to everyone. Yeah, we're going to go through the pilot, but I would say that it's, some of the comedy is very edgy and I was dying laughing. And Mal, my <laughs> partner, was like, why is this exactly your sense of humor? Like, just like so, um, I don't know. And then I was like, wow, I really would have thrived writing in the 80s, um, which is a horrible thing to think about. <laughs> Okay, so the pilot is uh, basically it opens with, you know, this information about uh, October 19th, 1987, stock market crash. There's like a really fun little shot of these punks writing Yuppies Lost, uh, (laughs) spray painting it as like a stock market stockbrokers like crying. Um, Balding white dude in a suit just sobbing. Papers everywhere. (laughs) 
then somebody jumps to their death and dies on top of this big uh, red fancy car that we later learn is a limbo lambo limo lambo yes called the limbo yes um, and they're wearing a fancy pin and you the pin later travels throughout the pilot so we're kind of always tracking who who is gonna die and now we're a year before the crash and the pilot's called 365. So we're on the 365th day before the crash. We're introduced to Don Cheadle, who goes by Mo. He's Maurice Monroe. We also get an incredible shot of Regina Hall, who is smoking while doing aerobics, which is the 80s, most baby. 80s shot. I loved it <laughs> so much. And we also meet uh, Andrew Rannells, and he's off to uh, big job interviews on Wall Street. His wife or girlfriend at the time, girlfriend, gives him a pin and we think, oh, uh, that, that he's going to be the one who kills himself because the pin is like her earring. Um, so then we go back to Maurice and he lives in just excess robot butler, everything. Andrew Rannells and Kyle. his girlfriend live in a <laughs> shit apartment. He is handing money to a sex worker. Uh, I wrote down that he says... Tell page six, I knocked the glaze off that donut. First of many <laughs> food innuendos around sex from Mr. Maurice Monroe. <laughs> I was like surprised that a black man had that much power and that much money. So that stuck out to me. Maurice Monroe is not based on a real person. Um, and Don Cheadle's given many interviews talking about how uh as the self-made founder of this Wall Street firm of underdogs, it's not a real person. The Jammer Group. The Jammer Group. It's not a real person. Yeah. Andrew Rannell's character is not real. Regina Hall's character is not real. Um, a lot of it is like based on a true story, like you said, but these specific characters are not real. But that's not to say that, you know, these people in some like capacity did not exist right like yes. was there a black woman working on wall street probably i'm sure don Cheadle said he thinks that these characters quote wouldn't have existed in the way they exist on this show all together under one roof in a trading house on wall street so that makes sense there's agree <laughs> yasser lester's there playing um a person from the middle east there's a latino guy there's spoiler alert a queer guy closeted though there are there is a, a a sort of like um avengers of diversity for this one wall street firm i think to show us these people who probably would have been sprinkled throughout different firms at the time 100 percent. Um, and it's probably people whose stories we don't get to hear but so this yes. it's this fun so i guess it is like really sort of escapist fun to see don Cheadle be so powerful and everyone be so scared of him definitely and do you think i mean it do you think that it plays on like the nouveau ratio of it all because i think the lehman brothers are so drab and so like old money and then i always found it interesting to compare what they look like on the show versus um don Cheadle's sort of like ostentatiousness Hmm, i hadn't thought about it like that old money people uh wear just like beige you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I could definitely see that. I mean, like the way the Lehman Brothers are lit, it's always very like dark and like kind of like you're walking into some sort of like crypt mm -hmm. when you're going into their office. 
The Jammer group, though, I will say the way that it shot, at least in the pilot, is very fresh in my mind. I watched it like three times <laughs> before this. It's lit with these like really like harsh fluorescents mm-hmm. that gives me a lot of like nervous, anxious energy. And I think that's very much like the Jammer group. Like these are these people that, you know, like for the most part, have been these are the leftovers for all the other firms like they're not ivy league white guys who have generations of fathers that have been in this business these are the guys nobody wanted and they're trying to make a name for themselves they are the underdogs of the stock of the new york stock exchange and you get a lot of that in the lighting everyone's sort of like running around everyone's talking fast everyone's trying to you know do something make make some sort of deal like come off as like the smartest they definitely to me they appear very confident but behind all that it's it's very helter skelter yes so then he tears into his office and we see also uh regina hall dealing with sexism from uh paul shear's character keith and she gives it right back to him and uh, Attempts to titty fuck him, which uh, I thought was a really interesting character moment of like, we are expecting her to be this um, put upon underdog, like uh, sexually harassed woman that we've seen in the 80s that that's been portrayed in Wolf of Wall Street. Um, But this is like her just giving it right back and like understanding the culture. I love that so much about Dawn. And there's a montage that we see of them going to work in the opening of this. And, you know, the men are just sort of, you know, making their way. Uh, Sort of the energy of the men in these scenes is like, the world is my oyster. I'm easily making my way through the New York streets. And Dawn, we see her, she's shot. The camera is above her. So she's like one of many in these huddled masses and she's the only woman in this sea of men and everything is very brightly lit and they're all just sort of, you know, moving like ants through this hallway and she's being Mm catcalled the entire way and she flips them off Mm -hmm. and I love that and immediately she's called a dyke Mm -hmm. and she just keeps walking with her finger in the air. I love that so much. I think that that really shows you in that moment like, okay, like this is who this woman is. Like she's not taking shit from anybody and like, You can try to fuck with her, but she's immovable. Yeah. And she's funnier. She was funnier than him in that moment. And she's funny the whole time. Like, I wrote down lines that I liked. Like, I loved when Don Cheadle was like, I was born in a toilet and I was dropped at a church. And she's like, church is chicken. Like, she's quick, you know? Yes. Um, So then he comes in. He says, number 11 trading firm on the block. Uh, Everyone's like, oh, nice. And then he's like, not nice, actually. We should be number one. He talks so fast, which again is like cocaine. But he is just talking so quickly and his moods change. He's very mercurial. He's very like unpredictable. He kind of makes you nervous watching him. I think sometimes I'm nervous like watching him because I'm like, he has so much bravado and confidence for this time period. Like I keep waiting for something bad to happen. I kind of want something bad to happen because like I I don't really love his character either. Like the only person in this show I like genuinely like is Mm -hmm. Dawn. Um, The men in this show, like they have their moments 
sense where they're well-intentioned, but they're all, like, they're just, like, very much, like, stereotypical, like, machismo, Mm -hmm. like, 1980s, like, asshole. Mm -hmm. And I I kind of enjoy watching that um, because that's that's sort of, like, the idea that I have in my head of what it was, of what the experience would have been like in the 80s. Like, had I been there and, like, this is what I've heard from my elders. Mm -hmm. So it's, I like seeing it portrayed because it, it gives me an understanding of just how difficult things were. One other line I very much enjoyed is he says he's going to put the brother in Lehman Brothers when he goes off to see the Lehman Brothers. They give him a bunch of cocaine as a birthday present. The the people uh, at the firm, it's his birthday. Andrew Rannells is lost. He's a nerd. He's trying to interview oh, Morgan Stanley. Another thing that happens in this scene is that while they're in the office is Regina warns Mo about this plan he has to put the brother in Lehman Brothers and she basically tells him that this is a bad idea yeah and he ignores her yeah and he leaves <laughs> yeah he wants to go buy Georgina jeans she is like that is stupid that is a bad stock and he like is like no I know what I'm doing and he goes to get Georgina jeans and we're not quite sure what his larger plan is but he's very sure that this is the thing to do. Then uh, Andrew Rannells comes and he's like, I have an interview at Morgan Stanley. Uh, His name is Blair. And he's invented this trading algorithm that is like the talk of the town. And a bunch of different places want to hire him. And then there's a really fun reference to mobile phones and him uh, perhaps getting a mobile phone. So then Don Cheadle goes to see the Lehman Brothers. It's uh, played as a two-hander from Ken Marino playing both twins, Larry and Lenny. They are portrayed as incestuous they do uh talk about how that was just a rumor and um mal said the one person playing twins is too uncanny valley and they don't like it (laughs) (laughs) i loved it i i don't really like this character but the performance is truly something to behold (laughs) Uh, so when he goes in to talk to them this is our our first time seeing him go in to talk to the lehman brothers um, how do you think Mo is behaving in that situation against these two like storied white guys? Um, Mo is definitely giving the Lehman Brothers the business. Uh, he is talking down to them. He's very condescending. Um, he continually razzes them, making jokes about them, you know, being in this incestuous relationship together. And the Lehman Brothers sort of just take it. Yeah. Um, they don't really fight it they continue to speak to him they end up walking away from this conversation with a deal Mm -hmm. which i was really surprised by initially watching it i was just like wow i i can't imagine a world like you know this would be like 30 years later i i can't imagine a world where i talk to like old like white hedge fund people like that so that it was pretty i really enjoyed like watching him just you know Come in there and just give them shit. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. We all know about that in my life and how hard that's been for me and also my listeners. You guys hear them talking about it on the mailbags. It is hard to manage finances with a partner. Putting away money for retirement, since I'm not going to be doing this podcast forever. Sorry, I guess I could, but retirement is huge for me. I am deeply focused on it right now. 
and planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year. Taxes are a doozy and it's always changing. How do you know what to do? Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Yeah, in some ways the show is escapism. Like it's this thing where you're you're rooting for him in a way and you, he walks in and he says everything that you've ever wanted to say to these people. And um, then when they walk out with a deal, I too was like, oh, so we're, we're supposed to believe that Don Cheadle is a genius. And we're like on board with that. We're like, he's a genius. He's some sort of genius. They play with that throughout the pilot. They fluctuates back and forth between if you perceive him as being in control or if you perceive him as being out of control. And I think Mo's character, Don Cheadle's character Mo, I don't think that he even knows ah, if he has everything or not. That's really good insight, yeah. I think that's a question that he himself is struggling with. Yeah. So then he, one of the best scenes, he goes to the trading room floor and he and Andrew Rannells accidentally bump into each other. And all the cocaine goes over all of all over both of them. And there's this big scene where they meet and then Mo is like get basically makes a big thing out of getting Andrew Rannells blacklisted. He had just told his wife or his girlfriend, buy whatever you want. I got a million offers from uh, different uh, firms and I have this mobile phone, which is a huge brick, which is a very funny sight gag. And he's like, everything's going amazing. And then he bumps into Don Cheadle and the coke goes everywhere. And everyone on the floor sides with Don Cheadle and is like, this guy, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Don Cheadle walks around and starts saying, if anyone hires this guy, I'm going to be on the other side of every trade you make and I'm going to ruin your lives. 
He also has a line that I laughed so hard at, even though it's horrible, which is, I will kill you, then I will fuck your wife, then I will fuck your kids based on gender, age, and looks, and let's be honest, it's gonna be looks. <laughs> he also mocks Blair's name. Um, he calls him Rachel like a, from the Bar Mitzvah. God, I don't know. Rachel from the Bar Mitzvah. Yeah, I knew it was something like sexist and Jewish. Yep. Yeah, it's a uh, it's quite a moment, and I think like this for me like really solidified like yeah, I don't really I'm not rooting for Mo. Um, I'm kind of like watching this show to see like to watch these horrible people tear each other apart, <laughs> and I hope Regina Hall comes out on top looking beautiful as she always does (laughs) what did you make of everyone on the floor siding with mo um i i thought that made sense i mean mo is perceived as this man with power he's you know in the up to this point we're seeing characters holding newspapers where he's on the front page beautiful photo of him um so he's someone that's definitely seen by his peer group as a power broker um it makes sense for them to side with him and he also goes out goes as far to say he's willing to spend a million dollars um making sure that no one hires blair mm-hmm. um I, I interpreted that to mean that he would you know essentially like pay people not to mm-hmm. hire him up to a million dollars the new york stock exchange in the 1980s this is a place that is an environment of competitiveness it's an environment where cash is king this is a powerful man offering you money of, of course they would do what he wants and new people are disposable whatever yes and new people are disposable they're just it's just another competition this is the hotshot kid with an algorithm and if Mo is saying this is someone that like no one should hire okay that's better for me and my business and I can make money off of it of course and later on Regina Hall does bring up Dawn says how did you know that they wouldn't arrest you as a black man with cocaine on the floor and I'm not going to spoil it but you know walking around on the the uh, trading room floor where if you are caught with drugs it's a two-year ban the confidence of knowing oh i they're not gonna arrest me so she does call that into question which is something that my partner said immediately then there's a so andrew randall's is banned he goes home he is uh greeted by his girlfriend played by casey williams they have some unhinged mommy bdsm uh where she convinces him yeah. to go back and fight for his job um unhinged mommy bdsm that's exactly what yeah it is. and she convinces <laughs> him to go back and fight for his job i will note that she is wearing the most 80s denim jacket i've ever seen it's truly incredible then like you said Mo lets Dawn know about what's been going on with Georgina Jeans, and she says, you're risking everything. And he says, that's the best part. Yeah, he he even, this is like such a timely reference at this point. When he goes back for the second conversation, she's, good God, what are you mm-hmm. doing? Like, I knew this was a bad idea when you were proposing it. What you're, what you are executing is even worse. $36 um, million dollars is what he needs to buy it, right? Right. And they do not have the money. She says to him, we don't, we can't afford that. What are you doing? And he says to her, he compares it to Top Gun, <laughs> which had just come out. Um, 
in this world. So Mo compares what he's doing to Top Gun, likening himself to Maverick, which is, of course, Tom Cruise's character in both of these films. Um, Maverick, just quick <laughs> side rant here, is basically known for being a really reckless pilot, and he even gets his partner killed in a training exercise in the original Top Gun. So this is this is a man that like you definitely don't want to be leading your business. Yeah. And Regina agrees with that sentiment and says back to Mo, Top Gun was a bad movie of white boys trying to butt fuck each other in the sky and Goose would be alive if Maverick wasn't so reckless, which really sums up both Top Gun movies, um, if you think about it. It also sums up like white guys in movies, right? Where like it's sort of this similar thing yes. to like people seeing Wolf of Wall Street and being like, I want to be like Jordan Belfort or seeing... Um, Wall Street and saying I want to be like Michael Douglas or seeing Wall Street 2 and saying I want to be like Sh I'm just kidding nobody said that but I just I just mean <laughs> that like um, he's not even getting it like he as this black man is like saying I want to be like these reckless white guys I want to be you know this Wall Street whatever and she's the only one that can kind of point out like these are all examples of people who have messed up they leave uh, uh, trails of tragedy and financial ruin in their wake. This is not aspirational. And so, exactly. but I just thought it was so interesting that he was like, that's the best part, that he's like running off the high. And he goes around yes. and he tries to get money from all these dangerous people, which we see he he's able to like, you know, finagle the this $36 million from uh, terrible, dangerous people who, if they don't get it back, will probably kill him. Yeah, it looked like he was meeting with some like Yakuza or something. There was some kind of like martial arts battle going on. Yeah. Uh, saw some triangles. I don't know what that was. Yeah. Sketchy generic. People. <laughs> the 80s loves generic Asian kung fu something. Then um, Andrew Rannells comes back and he's like, I demand my job. And what do you make of his monologue? Yeah. I mean, I thought it was pretty much what Mo said to him but filtered through Blair's character. It was sort of like watching what we had just seen with the Lehman Brothers, but reversed. Mm -hmm. I gotta say, I really felt for Blair yeah. in this moment. Without spoiling too much, things happen in the season to sort of change my opinion about Blair. But at this moment, I felt he was, you know, throughout the pilot, he's this very genuine guy. He's coming in bright eyed, bushy tailed, just trying to do things the right mm -hmm. way. Very ethical, and very involved in very yes. justice oriented, very like this is the right thing to do. This is the wrong thing to do. Very ethical. Exactly. Which, which is so rare for someone in Wall Street. And in TV, in you know, it's got to get ruined. Yeah, exactly. So this this part, I, I truly felt for Blair, and I felt really sorry for the guy. I mean, do you think um, someone can, I mean, not even related to, you know, Blair's arc, but someone that pure at that time, I mean, do you think that someone like that could be in Wall Street then or be in Wall Street now? Absolutely not. Why? I, I think they're ethical people. The friends that I have that work in this sector, they, they possess that like shark-like quality that I think is really prized by so many firms and that what is sort of exalted in media about the 1980s, specifically when we're talking about Wall Street, um, but they behave in an ethical, within ethical boundaries, which I really respect because that's that's hard to do. That in you their know industry, of. And they... <laughs> 
<laughs> right, that I know of. Um, and and I do know that they they don't always ha- have an easy time yeah. of working that way uh, because working within those boundaries, you're not always number one. And when you're not always number one in that field, what um, are you? you're basically a zero. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But they work really hard. These friends I have, they don't really have social right. lives. They just work from six o'clock in the morning until 11 o'clock at night. And they live in apartments on Wall Street Mm -hmm. and they walk home and then they go back to work and do it all again the next day. And Blair, I just feel like he's just this nice guy who, you know, wants to have like the white picket fence with his wife. He just sort of wants to, you know, kick back and have an easy time of it. And that's just not what Wall Street was at that time, whether you were ethical or unethical. I think working in money, you have to have some compromise or you have to have I think slowly over time things start to get weird in like what you allow and it happens very slowly and I even felt that way sometimes working in journalism I felt like there would be times where someone would would push it a little like ethics wise and then you'd be like um uh, okay and then it would just like it was like such a slippery slope to You know, like you had to hold yourself to this really intense standard because otherwise it was so easy to try to compete and get ahead and do all these very unethical things that end up becoming incredibly tabloid. And possibly crimes. Mm -hmm. I think that's like a great thing to remember when you're behaving unethically is like, you know, not only is this, you know, hurting other people, but ultimately... It, it will probably hurt you too. You're committing crimes and you see slowly, that's part of the anxiety of the show because you know Black Monday is coming. So you're seeing how these thing, little things start happening and then you're like, oh my God, this is this is affecting people's portfolios. This is, these are real people out there. This is, you know, it just starts to like move in a way that you're like, oh, you, you have the benefit of hindsight. So everyone just thinks they're doing their own little scam, but then everybody's doing a little scam. Then it becomes a big scam. And that's the Republican Party. Oh, <laughs> sorry. Well, okay, so, so then <laughs> Andrew Rannells, uh, uh, Don Cheadle says, if you can use your algorithm to make 50, I'm going to put 50K in an account. If you double that by the end of the day, you have a job. He also says a funny thing where they're talking about a cocaine possession charge. And he says everyone has a possession charge, which is hilarious. There's also a really dark part in the beginning where he's like, there's this new thing called crack. Crack for everyone. Incredibly dark. Cracks all around. Cracks all around. Incredibly dark. Incredibly dark. I did look into this to see if, um, you know, this like chronologically backed what was going on in the 80s and not quite so kind of a note there i don't believe in 1987 that they that um crack had made its way fully to the east coast crack moved very quickly um once freeway rick ross got a hold of it so but just a quick noters note to that writer's room i i don't think you're historically accurate on the crack it's a great joke but i believe crack didn't hit the east coast until 1988 oh right when i was born happy birthday (laughs) thanks so much So, because you've mentioned him a couple times, who is Gary Webb and what what is his reporting? Oh my gosh. Gary Webb is a local um, Los Angeles born and raised um, area journalist who uncovered the uh, CIA scheme to traffic cocaine 
into South Los Angeles, predominantly black area at the time, and essentially created the crack epidemic, which affected predominantly low-income black people across the United States and really led to the war on drugs, which we are still, you know, in the midst of today. This is a policy that has locked up um, hundreds of thousands of people, and we are still very much feeling the effects of it today. And what years was this happening? This happened in the 1980s, and it's a really wild story. Um, The CIA wanted to fund guerrilla warfare against the um, socialist leader, newly elected socialist leader of Nicaragua. Um, The CIA felt that um, having socialism in Central America would be really bad for good old American capitalism. So what they decided to do was to sell cocaine in black communities, teach dealers in these communities how to make crack, which is a much different drug than cocaine it's much more highly addictive it um, does a lot different things to your brain chemistry Um, and the CIA sold the cocaine to Freeway Rick Ross he is responsible for teaching the communities of the United States to you know make and distribute crack cocaine but Freeway Rick wouldn't have done all of that without the explicit assistance of the CIA And it was with the help of the government that we got the crack epidemic. That's incredible. If if everyone wants to check out Gary Webb, Google it, find he's written probably multiple books. Code of Silence. Silence. Um, He wrote about this um, in the 90s, I believe. And everyone sort of said, oh, you're crazy. You're making this all up. It ruined his career. Girl, the amount of times Um, that I've been like, when, (laughs) when someone comes on the show and goes, well, this is a conspiracy theory. And I go... It's not. <laughs> it, but people believed that Gary Webb's reporting was a conspiracy up until early 2000s. Yeah, he um, he ended up killing himself <gasps> because of his life being ruined. I mean, so that's that's kind of the background on on which all of this is happening. I mean, this is happening like around the same time. People are. Yes. So it's interesting to see the 80s portrayed as either like white people with AIDS or white people on Wall Street. And that's it. <laughs> And you can head over to FX for Snowfall if you want to yes. uh, see a scripted interpretation of um, the story of Freeway Rick, um, Gary Webb, all of these characters that I'm talking about in some sort of fictionalized reality. Yeah. Um, so I want to get to the twist of Black Monday, which is Mo gives Blair a job, also mentions wanting his tie pin which then makes me very nervous because I'm tracking this tie pin to be like, who kills themselves? And then there's a reveal that made me gasp. He tells Andrew Rannells, go home and propose to your girlfriend right now. Like, you you deserve happiness, whatever. Turns out the girlfriend is Tiff Georgina. And I was like, her jean jacket was a clue. She is the daughter of the Georgina Fortune. And he wants Andrew Rannells to propose and marry her so that someone at the Jammer Group has a membership in the family because the Lehman Brothers make a mockery of him and say, you you think that you got this over on us, but actually what happened is... And can you explain what why he screwed up? Yeah, so <laughs> Mo, when he goes back to the Lehman Brothers after rousing this $36 million from these shady mm-hmm. characters he's celebrating he's like i'm gonna be rich i'm gonna be rich the the georgina play is to become a majority shareholder in georgina jeans and because they still manufacture in new york the land that these manufacturing plants sit on 
is worth way more than the company, right? Prime real estate in New York City. So the play is to take over the majority shares and sell the land mm-hmm. and make millions. So this is what Mo is planning to do. This is what he thinks he can pull off. This is what Don Regina Hall is saying, look, dude, you're way out of your element. So he goes to the Lehmans and he's just sort of, you know, smiling in their faces saying, you know, I've screwed you over. I'm now the majority shareholder. I am now going to be, you know, I can now do the Georgina play. And the Lehmans are like, ah, 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 not so fast. Other people the Georgina have tried family, to do this before. Other, yeah. Other people have tried tried and failed, been driven into madness and suicide for trying to do this. The Georgina family will never sell. Uh, you are now left with this white whale of a stock that, you know, we've valued so high, but is really worth nothing, which just sort of sums up the stock market uh, in one fail swoop right there. And they say basically, you know, good luck trying to unload this because everyone knows that this will never succeed. Unless you are a Um, member of the Georgina family, you cannot do anything with this land or this stock. Exactly. So he's humiliated. So we think. And then we realize that he... uh, he knows that Andrew Rannells is the boyfriend of Tiff Georgina. That's why he says, propose to her right now. So I'm like, wow, that's so interesting that he found out that out. Second twist is that the Coke, dropping the Coke on Andrew Rannells and running into him on the floor was also a setup. He opened the cocaine in his suit. He knew exactly who Andrew Reynolds was, which he pretended he didn't. He runs smack into him. He make he wants to make sure that, that Andrew Reynolds doesn't get hired anywhere else, that Blair has to work for the Jammer Group. And it was all this huge setup. You think he's defeated, then you see he's not defeated, then you think he's defeated, then you see that he actually orchestrated this entire thing. I gasped at both reveals. I watched this when it premiered in 2019. So initially, yes, I was very surprised. Watching it back, um, you know, a few years later and then watching it back multiple times, (laughs) I was able to catch, like, some things that, like, alluded to this happening, which I think is, like, pretty common for people when they rewatch things. Like what? So the jacket was, like, a huge giveaway for me when when Mo is sort of looking through the Georgina stuff when he goes to the office the first time and he's talking to Dawn they look at some Georgina patterns and it's the same one that's on her jacket so if someone is watching that with a real big magnifying glass like you could have probably caught that when you initially see her um, but I think they showed us them living in and, a shit apartment to throw us off. They, then you wouldn't think she's an heiress. Yes, 100%. Yeah. 100%. But I do know a lot of rich girls that love to cosplay poverty, You know what? That so is a good point. That also tracks. <laughs> Maybe she... I, and I was like, of course. she's. They're trying to make it on their own and... Like, not rely on the parents. And he keeps saying that he doesn't re- want to, like, work for her dad. And I'm like, oh, I could have caught that. Right. Wow. Right. Yeah. And then it was that thing that we said that, you know, you're wondering who is the smartest person in the room. And I think that's true for Wall Street then and today and in real life. Who is actually the smartest person in the room? Are is anyone actually smart or are they just trying to out game each other, out cutthroat each other? Um, And who who is getting shafted? And it's like the people that are not on Wall Street. Or like who, this is all a game to them. And we, what are we exactly? 
just pawns mm-hmm. in the in the game. That's the thing about watching this series. I, I think like I hope the culture has advanced some and in the later seasons of Black Monday you sort of see that change um you know coming about one of the characters expresses that he's uncomfortable with you know some of the sexist jokes that are being told with the racism that is so casual in the office. So you do start to see like the beginning of that change in Black Monday. I hope that it's advanced uh beyond what we are seeing on the screen for what was happening in 1987 as someone that has worked in you know big corporations in my own time like i know that that stuff still happens Mm -hmm. i hope that it is not as explicit as it was in the 80s i have experienced my fair share of you know racism homophobia in the workplace but it was nowhere near um my boss telling me like the shade of his penis when he is erect um (laughs) which mo does do uh, he uses the word (laughs) aubergine i believe Yes, uh, that is just way, I mean, it's all out of bounds, but that is that is horrifying. Yeah. What's your opinion now on the ways in which the financial systems are run or the ways in which the like Wall Street or any of this stuff that you've seen, you know, even just from financial reporting, but also just like as like a reporter now or as even I don't know what your like personal financial situation is, but does it all just seem like incredibly bleak and out of reach? Um, Yeah, I mean, personally, I don't like engage with the stock market much. And like everything I read about it is like, oh, this is volatile and terrible and people are losing money and being exploited. This girl on TikTok who's like, my mother is never wrong. And she says in 90 days, the stock market will crash again. And then... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, probably. The one thing about Black Monday that I learned, um, you know, doing research for this conversation that we're having is that Black Monday, and we sort of talked about this at the top, it revealed increased market volatility because of this, you know, mass buying and selling that was occurring thanks to auto trading Mm -hmm. we have leaned in to auto trading so it doesn't really seem like wall street has learned its lesson and we saw sort of a mini repeat of black monday in 2010 called the flash crash where it wasn't quite a big of a drop as you know between 20 and 29 percent but 10 percent um in just a few minutes that Love was that huge. We give them fun um, names. And I do remember that. Fun names. <laughs> they are fun names. Flash Crash, Black Monday. Sounds like parties at some sort of club. Yeah. Come on um, down to Flash <laughs> Crash at Rocco's West Hollywood. Like, she's like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, there there have been stop gaps put in place, like price bans, but like we still see this kind of volatility all the mm-hmm. time. Like most recently in 2020, we saw this exact same thing happening again in March as, you know, jobless rates skyrocketed to the highest rates that we've seen since the Great Depression. Lesson very much not learned for Mm -hmm. Wall Street. And some countries' financial systems are still reeling from this event in the 1980s. New Zealand did not rebound from this nearly enough, it, it turns out, from my reading. Yes. So... My opinion is that this just seems like a place that is, you know, accountability is frowned upon and, you know, lying is prized. Exploitation is seen as, you know, a value. It's not really and no one learns a lesson. It's not really something that I want to engage with. Thank you for sharing about Gary Webb, too. I really appreciate that. Um, 
Where can people find you and follow you? Because your work is also incredible. It's not a Courage Award for nothing, guys. It's uh, <laughs> Cerise is like just an icon, a living legend, the moment. <laughs> Thank you so much. That's that's very high praise. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter. I am at Cerise Castle. I'm also on Instagram at Your Majesty. Check out my reporting. As I mentioned at the top, I have a podcast coming out in October of this year that is all about uh, gangs and Side of police departments. Google LASD is, gangs. Uh, Google it. Visit my website. Um, read all about deputy gangs in the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. It's um, it's a really fascinating and horrific topic. Um, the financial tie-in there is that these deputy gangs have cost taxpayers in Los Angeles County over one hundred million dollars in the past thirty years, and that is based just on. 19 people that they killed on settlements um they've killed a lot more people than that so the real amount is probably a lot higher um but essentially what we have in los angeles county is a taxpayer funded uh system to make people go away when their family members are murdered by police officers um there's a lot to talk yeah. about there just look into cerise's reporting it's incredible and awful Incredible Thank in you. a in a way that means incredulous. <laughs> Illuminating incredibly mm. awful things. <laughs> um, thank you. Thank you. Done. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 